Steve, happy Monday. How are you, man? Good. Had a good weekend. Uh, other nice. than fighting off a little cold that the kids brought home from sniffly. preschool. Yeah. But uh, other than that, <laughs> good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your your son just kind of started preschool for the first time. And I remember those days. And even when my wife started teaching full time for the first time, she was doing oh, young kids yeah. and it's a germ factory for sure. Yeah. Uh, you said that about your wife. When my wife, yeah, she was did this pediatrics uh, stuff when she started right out of her grad school. And it was that first year was terrible. She was sick nonstop. And this is kind of the same thing with little kids here. Joey's every other week got a runny nose and bringing something home. Yeah. Well, cool. We got uh, a bunch of listener questions and, um, you know, a lot of those are coming through the new speak pipe where you guys can leave your audio questions. Um, and we're doing a giveaway for this month, uh, here in April where any questions submitted before the end of the month, um, will be entered to win a Chris Reeves knife, which we talked about kind of in a bonus episode last week. Uh, so just want to remind you guys about that giveaway and then about the new opportunity to leave your audio question for the show, which we'll dive into some of those soon. And we'll say that uh, the response to those has been great so far. A ton, ton, ton of good questions are coming in. So um, it'll obviously take us a while to get through all of them, which is uh, fun, though, because it gives us a lot to talk about in the future. But we'll get into a few of those today. Before we do, we did have one email question that came through about bivy sacks. Um, and this guy wrote in and says, I always hear you guys talking about bivy sacks on your podcast and how they're super light options. But from the looking I've done on Google, it seems that they aren't that much lighter than lightweight tint options. Am I looking at the right thing? What are some brands and models that you guys prefer to use? And also any recommendations for September and October for the use of bivy sacks? Um, I just want to mention that quick because this question comes up a lot when guys hear us talk about bivy sacks, but aren't sure what models and things like that. And we actually addressed this fairly recently on a Monday minute episode. And so for the full answer and full context, I'm just going to point you guys to that conversation. It was Monday minute 125, and we will leave a link in the show description. Um, and in that episode, when we talked about our use of bivy sacks, we did talk about different models comparing those to what this guy's probably finding on Google and why bivy sacks may or may not be a weight savings compared to a 10th option. So again, not to uh, ignore this question because it does come up a fair amount, but just want to point you guys, if you're curious about bivy sacks, what we're using, et cetera, to go check out that Monday minute episode 125. All right, getting into a speak pipe question, guys. This first one's very timely with spring bear seasons coming up soon. And this guy was looking for some help when he's packing out his bear, in particular dealing with the bear hide and skull and the best way to pack that. Here's this question. Yeah, I got a question, a pro tip question on packing out a bear, the cape and skull how to secure that in my exo pack period. I did it a year ago or so and pretty sure it was the wrong way and it was flopping all over, etc. Thanks guys. Love your packs. All right, Steve. So we don't know how he packed it the wrong way, but yeah, he, yeah. he kind of says like I didn't it couldn't have been the right way, right? Because it was loose, it was flopping, it wasn't secure. Uh, so where do you start on suggestions, particularly not just for meat, but in this case, a bear hide? Yeah. Um, it reminds me of, uh, 
uh, I did, there's a video on YouTube I did. I, I loaded Tyler Boschman's pack he, when he killed a sheep in Alaska, and we had um, the cape and then the head to pack out. So it's going to be similar. Obviously, um, typically with a bear, you're keeping that. You're not you're not keeping out the head, right? So this the skull is going to be attached to the hide. So you kind of got one big piece, but the concept is very similar. Uh, in this regard, and this would be so there's two ways of looking at it, or in my head, I'm envisioning this one is um, you're not packing meat, so this is just the hide and skull on this trip. So you're going to just take you got the bear hide all laid out, um, skinned off the body, right? And it's facing uh, the hide is f- facing the ground, the, the fleshy parts sticking up. So you just lay it all out, um, and then you're going to take the legs folded in um, top front legs, hind legs folded in, and then you're going to just kind of fold, um, fold it in half again, and then probably half up. Um, It's hard to describe, but just imagine you're folding a blanket to put away in the closet, right? Um, And completely leave the head out of this, right? Like just leave it up there at the top. And then you're just going to lay that right on the frame panel. You don't worry about like trying to roll it up really tight or anything like that. Um, just lay it on the frame panel and then you're just going to take the compression straps on the frame panel, suck it up really tight in that regard, and then pull the the bag over the front, compress the bag down. And then you still got the head that's going to be sitting there. That's going to be, you've kind of positioned that. So it's at the very top of the frame and then the head would just flop forward and sit on top of the bag. And if you got your lid, then you're just going to put that right on top of the head and suck it down tight to the top of the pack. Um, that should pack out really, really well. Uh, depending on um, if it's a massive, you know, any black bear is going to work just fantastic. If it's a, um, you know, grizzly bear, brown bear or something like that, that's a different story with a much, much, much larger hide. Um, But that would be how I would do it. If you try to, um, you could try to get that hide folded up. And then if you've got a game bag, that's kind of long and tubular, um, then you could kind of slide it down into that game bag first, but I don't even think that's necessarily necessary in this instance um if you've got meat and the hide <coughs> excuse me if you got meat and the hide and horns and hide and head that you're trying to pack out then it gets a little bit trickier um you're just going to put that meat which is going to be the heaviest most dense thing directly on the frame um and you could either do um i would probably just do it the same i would um put the meat on the on the frame uh as flat and and as kind of low as you can to it and then you're just going to put the hide right on top of that um and and then do the same process that i talked about before so um yeah that would that would work really well the other alternative is you'd put the meat lower down on the frame and then roll it up really like try to get that hide really tight um but those things they're just tough to roll up tight you don't you almost need like a um, bungee cords or paracord or something out there to like roll it up and keep everything into place. And instead of trying to fight all that, I just let the compression straps in the bag, use that to the frame. So I don't know how he did it. I'm guessing he probably tried to strap it to the outside of the pack mm-hmm. um, or on top of it. And yeah, in which case that's going to get really tricky. So yeah, definitely. Uh, my impression is probably based off of just seeing a lot of customer photos, but I do feel with, bears in particular, it's one of the times where I see folks trying to strap uh, things to the outside of the bag. So, um, and obviously in particular, when guys are maybe packing the meat and the hides, they think, all right, meat goes in the load shelf and now I have to strap 
the hide to the outside of the bag. Um, but in general, I mean, you, you can guys somewhat underestimate, I think how much you can actually put in the load shelf or put between the bag and the frame. Um, and sometimes it just takes some thought on positioning, but, uh, especially if you're splitting with a buddy or things like that, you should be able to get a good load of meat and the hide all in the load shelf versus that hide, because it is so shifty, as you said, it's hard to get it clean. It's hard to get it tight. Yeah. Yes. You can fold it up neatly, but it's, if you don't keep it secured, it's wanting to shift around a lot. So yeah, I would try to avoid um, strapping it to the bag if you can. It also obviously sets weight for the route and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If, and if you weren't, if you're just day tripping it and you had a bigger bag, I'd throw the hide in the bag. I put the meat on the shelf and then the hide in the bag with the head, like coming out the top of the roll top collar. And, and then you just kind of, you don't, you won't be able to roll it up. You just position it right on top. Um, that would work really well as well. Awesome. This next question uh, came through and had some questions in particular about crossing creeks, uh, which I feel like, I don't know, Steve, it's just been random or where we're hunting. I feel like I'm doing more and more of that in the last <laughs> few years. So it's like, oh yeah, there's a few things to talk about here. So let's talk about uh, creek crossings while hunting. Hey guys, I was hoping you could give some insight into your process when encountering a creek crossing on a backpacking hunt specifically. Uh, so first off, you know, if that's a September hunt or maybe into a mid-October hunt, do those plans change at all in how you're going to approach that creek crossing and maybe your willingness to get your pants or your boots wet? Um, specifically, the instances I'm thinking of, you know, I'm on a backpacking trip. I didn't expect to be crossing a creek that was, you know, knee to thigh height, thigh height deep. Um, but so for some reason I'm in an area I hadn't planned on and now I have this situation in front of me um, and I've tried to do everything I can to keep my boots dry and I'm just wondering if there's any uh, better methods out there. Any uh, plans or insight you guys can share would be great. Thanks. All right. So Creek Crossings, he mentioned quite a few things in there. Does it change based on time of year? Uh, he did mention unexpected Creek Crossings, which makes me uh, think through you're not packing something in particular to cross a creek, uh, such as Crocs, which we can talk about in a bit. Um, approaches to keeping pants, boots dry. We'll touch on all that. Um, you know, if I think about water crossing, Steve, I, I think of different approaches, right? Like ones just go fast and hope like mm -hmm. you're keeping your boots on. Maybe it's short, maybe it's relatively shallow and you're just trying to get through it as quick as possible and trying to minimize your exposure to getting wet. Um, and then kind of on approaches, you know, if you have boots and gaiters on, you trust your boots to be relatively waterproof, your gaiters to be relatively waterproof, then you can try and cross in just those. Um, you know, I've seen guys, I've never, I've not done this much. I think maybe once, but you know, you pair boots and gaiters potentially with your rain pants. And so mm -hmm. now you're trying to create a sealed system. Um, maybe if it's a, a wider Creek or it's deeper or it's really rocky. So you can't just go fast. You're going to take your time. You could go with boots, gaiters, and rain gear. And then you basically get to these situations, uh, and this is obviously assuming you're not packing waders because most guys aren't, unless you're maybe in Alaska or something. So then you get in situations of, okay, forget about protection. Let's go the opposite. Let's take off my yeah. boots. Let's get into bare feet. Uh, something, Steve, I want you to touch on is using socks to cross a creek, which sounds counterintuitive. 
Or uh, as we mentioned prior, if you've actually packed something knowing that there's a chance of creek crossing, such as Crocs, lightweight, water shoes, et cetera. So I know for me in the past, Steve, I've been a go fast and hope guy. And there's like <laughs> downsides to doing that. Um, Cause often you just, depending on how wide that Creek is, you don't see the depth maybe well, mm-hmm. or you step in holes that you uh, didn't anticipate, or, you know, maybe your gator gators weren't sealed as well as you thought, et cetera. So anymore, I tend to lean towards um, taking my boots and gaiters off and, you know, rolling up your pants, sometimes removing your pants. Again, this is all based on judging depth and things like that. But um, I will say that for me personally, Steve, I'm, I'm t- definitely a, a complete, complete sissy with my feet. Like I do not do well crossing, walking on rocks, bare feet at all. Like my feet are so sensitive. I am a complete sissy. So um, I do tend to, if I'm expecting any creek crossings to pack Crocs or something like that. And that's going back shoot years to like our hundred mile death hike. For example, I knew there was going to be Creek crossings and uh, I definitely packed Crocs that whole way just for some of those crossings. Cause I'm that much of a sissy, but touch on socks, Steve, you've mentioned this on using socks, which most guys are thinking, well, you don't want to get your socks wet. So what advantage are you getting out of crossing in socks only? Um, I don't know if I'm too dissimilar from you. Maybe just a little bit tougher. Yeah, um, probably. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it hurts, uh, crossing bare feet across a Creek, man. It freaking hurts. Um, and, uh, so the, yeah, a couple of times here recently, um, well, yeah, it was your out, your, your bull we killed in 2020. Um, we had to cross Creek packing them back out and, um, you just did it in boots and then I did it. Um, on the way across, I did it barefoot and it was miserable and the way back. Um, I just did it with socks on and, and I had, I guess in that regard, we were packing out. So I knew I was going back to camp, but, um, you know, even if I was backpacking at this point, I've always got one, most likely two extra pairs of socks in the pack. Um, so you just kind of sacrifice that one pair of socks for the day that, uh, you just hang them off the back of the pack and they'll eventually dry out. And it definitely helps dramatically. Uh, cut down on on how painful that is so um, socks work great going to his specific question about not planning for it yeah that's um you just don't want to regardless of the time of year um even if it's 10 degrees outside it's it sounds miserable getting you know getting down into your underwear and crossing that creek but it's never nearly as bad as you think it's going to be like in some ways it's refreshing and it wakes you up and um you know you just uh my default right now would be if i was in his situation would you know stop on the bank take off my boots my i uh get out an extra pair of socks take off my pants and just cross my underwear and that way if you do hit a hole that's knee deep you're not getting your pants wet um get across and then you know get dried up and uh put your, put your socks and your pants and your boots back on and get back to hunting and you're good to go. Um, the, you know, the hope and pray, like I've seen you do it, uh, in gators and all of a sudden you step in a hole and it's knee deep. And then now you got wet boots for the whole freaking day. And it's a 20 degree hunt. It's just a pretty miserable, um, miserable way to do it. Cause those boots aren't going to dry out quickly. So, um, yeah, I, I guess you just gotta toughen up and, um, get down your underwear and just do it. So, um, if, uh, 
if it's a hunt where there's creek crossings likely, you know, something new to me the last few years is I'm just packing my crocs. It's uh they're an extra 12 ounces on the pack, but they are absolutely worth it. If I think there's a chance that we're going to be doing this, you know, more than one time, it's going to happen two or three or four times a day, crossing creeks, rivers, uh, the crocs are definitely uh, worth the wait. Yeah. And you know, it really comes down to, you said, Steve, removing the pants because something I've done in the past, I've seen guys do plenty is roll up their pants and yeah. that may work fine. If you, again, you have good visibility and it's a relatively short crossing, but you just don't know what holes are out there potentially. And so if I have doubts anymore, I'm not even rolling up my pants because I've, I've been there, done that where you roll them up, they're above the knee, but you still take either a slip or find a hole you didn't anticipate. And now you have wet pants anyway. Um, and so, as you said, Steve, like some, even some of the hunts that we've done together, it's been cold, like cold out, but just get down the underwear, go ahead and cross. What I typically do is when you get to the other side, um, is I use the outside of my pants to kind of dry my legs a little bit because most pants are going to have some level of DWR ish water repellency. And so using the outside of my pants to dry off my legs typically doesn't soak my pants much. Uh, but it also means that I'm putting relatively dry legs now inside my pants as I'm putting them back on. Um, so yeah, that works well. The other thing I say, you know, and I'm less and less, less prone to try the go fast and hope approach partially because it, it doesn't work too well in my experience or it can't anyway, um, is it's just not safe. Right. So you're going fast. You're trying to make quick steps. You're, you're stirring up the water a lot, which means you also can't see as well, um, into what you're stepping into. And so anytime you're trying to go fast and hope you're rushing, you're introducing potential that you're just going to end up actually going down. Um, and whether that means getting wet or whether that means rolling an ankle and now you're in a really troublesome spot, it's just really not worth it. So, um, yeah, along those lines, let's just say, absolutely get out your trekking poles. Uh, they're yes. going to be a lifesaver crossing that creek. Yeah. hundred percent use trekking poles. Don't rush. So whatever that means to you in terms of what you have to do, um, don't rush across it. Obviously, uh, I put in here as a tip as I was thinking about this, avoid highs and lows. And what I mean by that is um, by nature, sometimes guys want to step on the highest point, And a lot of times those are just going to be wet rocks or dry rocks, but now you have wet feet or potentially wet boots or what have you. Um, I tried to avoid any high and any low. And so you want to avoid any holes in the water, obviously. Um, but a lot of times I'm trying to avoid those high points because I'm already in the Creek. So what is stepping up and out for one step going to do to help me. It's not, it's going to introduce a potential for me to slip. And so I'm just trying to find the most even like solid surface as I can and avoid any highs and lows, you know, little things like if it's uh, swift is just angling into the current a bit. Um, So you're kind of angling upstream can be really helpful. Uh, And then other, again, just speaking from like my own idiot moves in the past is always identify your endpoint <laughs> before you start crossing. That sounds like really obvious, but sometimes I'm just like, hey, I'll get over there and figure it out. And then I realize I've now crossed into maybe a bank that's steep and loose and slippery and it's tough to get out of. So identify your endpoint before you cross and then just keep that in mind as you're making your approach. Because once again, if you get into a wider crossing you're going to be putting your head down to watch your steps, see where you're placing your feet. And sometimes that means 
you're naturally drifting down with the current, for example, um, and not actually headed to the point that you identified prior to your crossing to actually get out and then potentially putting yourself in a bad spot. So uh, just some different tips that came to mind there. The other thing that really comes to mind, I didn't touch on, but going back to again, um, like even my 2020 bowl, Steve is a good example of think through how much weight you're carrying. So in this situation, we were packing out a bowl across a Creek and also how tired you are. Um, I specifically chose that Creek crossing to stay in my boots and gaiters because my legs were tired. I had a ton of weight on my back, probably at that point, Steve, what a hundred and because yeah, shortly after yikes. that's when we dropped weight. Yeah, we right, dropped weight. Not doing like this 120. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was heavy. Um, so yeah, I was like 120 on my back, tired legs, and just didn't trust myself to to not be in my boots for the support and hopefully grip. And so I ended up, you know, hiking five plus miles after that with soaking wet boots because uh, my boots and gaiters didn't work. If I had to do that specific situation over again. This is why I say from the comfort of my own home anyway, <laughs> what I would do, <laughs> I would have taken my boots off, my gaiters off, my pants off, and I also would have unloaded my pack. And instead of trying to make one crossing with a 120 pound pack, I would have went ahead and like, okay, I'm going to take this quarter off and carry this quarter across, come back, repeat and do what's necessary. Even if that means I'm crossing the Creek three times. I'm doing it in a much safer way with less weight without getting my boots wet, et cetera, versus what I did then was I'm tired. I'm lazy. I don't trust my feet. I'm just going for it. And, you know, I didn't really suffer that bad. I hiked out five plus miles with wet boots, but, um, it definitely probably wasn't ideal nor really the safest situation. So as you were saying that I was like, yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would do that, but I would certainly do that if it was like a remote Alaska hunt um, where the risk of injury to, you know, the consequence of that is, is very high, right? Like you're 20 something miles back there. And it's like, all right, yeah, we're, we don't want to roll an ankle or, or completely just eat it in this river and get soaking wet and have to deal with that. So now I'm going to really take my time and do multiple trips across this, this river to get, get there safely with everything. Yeah. That's why I said that I say that for my comfort, my own home. Cause right. <laughs> usually when I'm under heavy pack, I'm like, yeah, I'm not taking yeah, off. it. Let's just go. Yeah. I loaded this up. I'm not going to unload it. So yeah. probably wisdom from not being in the situation is what I would do. But in the situation, yeah. Like let's go find out again, Steve. <laughs> All Sounds right. Like let's yeah. <laughs> let's wrap up with this question about um, cold weather layering, but for higher output kind of activities or moments on a hunt. How do you manage cloth uh, layering during eye uh, activity output, like uh, uphill elk hunting? Uh, what kind of um, layering system do you use and what kind of gear can you recommend uh, for us? All right. So cold weather, high output. Um, this is always going to be a struggle, really. Um, I mean, people are investing in technology to try and solve the solution and there's better products out there. And it partially comes down to your approach, Steve, um, you know, in terms of not only what gear are you using, uh, which is what he asked about, but really I think you have to be strategic with what decisions you're making, um, is really where this starts. Um, 
in my head, but what, what, where does your head go right away, Steve? <laughs> in between your ears. Um, but this goes back to the same, this is the same answer as crossing that Creek. Like it just takes, it, we all like, Oh, I don't want to get wet and cold. It's 20 degrees outside or, Oh, it's cold. Like I want to put on a warm jacket and sometimes you just got to be a little mentally tough for a very short period of time. And, and that answer is way better than the alternative of crossing that Creek and getting completely soaking wet or wearing that big puffy jacket. Cause it's cold for the first five minutes of your hike, but then halfway up the hill, you're just soaking in sweat and you got to strip everything off um, and take that extra time to get your jacket off and, you know, take your pack off, get your jacket off and re- redo everything. Uh, I'll pick on Pat, like that works for us. Like we were uh, multiple times over the last few years. It's like, dude, when are you going to learn your lesson? Cause he was like, he just doesn't want to be cold getting out of the truck. And then the first, uh, you know, the first hill we hike, it's like halfway up, like, Oh guys, I got to stop. I got to take my jacket off. You know, it's like, dude, come on. Um, you just got to have to suck it up for just a little bit and, and then you're good to go. So, uh, that's for that, at least initial part. Right. Um, yeah. So for me, my go-to, if it's truly like high output, it, you know, it could be 15, 10, 15 degrees and I don't need a whole lot of layering on unless there's wind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can be in a pretty thin, like I, I kind of default to um, a, th- a kind of a mid layer actually is just my only layer that I wear. Um, and then, so I'll keep, say if my typical thing would be a super thin lightweight merino um then a mid layer which sometimes is merino well i guess all my all my mid layers are merino some of the base layers are synthetics um and then and then i got a some type of puffy jacket in the in the pack and so if i'm like it's cold we're gonna we're uphill for the next three thousand feet getting into this elk country um then i'll just put on that mid layer I'll keep the the base layer and my jacket in the pack completely dry. And then that way, when I, you know, that thing's no matter what you do, that thing's going to get wet from sweat. There's just no way around it. Um, so when, whenever I stop, I can then either, it depends on if it's sunny outside, I'll take that off and like throw it on the back of the pack and then just put on my dry base layer and my jacket. So we get up there and we're going to glass or stop and eat breakfast or something like that. Um, then I'm, then I'm good to go. And I've got warm layers, warm, dry layers on. If we're going to continue to hunt, um, sometimes I'll just put that base layer on, um, and then just put that kind of the, the sweat damp layer on top of it that I was just wearing. And, and then again, if it was sunny outside, I know that it's going to dry out if it was soaking wet, um, you know, really just kind of a lot of moisture in the air type morning, then I would just, uh, put that wet wet mid layer in the pack and then just kind of work on drying it out throughout the day of if it does warm up to the point where I like, okay, putting that back on um, and let my body heat dry it out. Great. If not, then it's like going to be wet all day. and going to be end up putting it in the sleeping bag to dry out that night. Yeah. Uh, but that's my go-to without like adding a lot of pieces to the system or anything like that. I'll just hike in that mid layer. Um, I love uh, first lights. Klamath. And oh, so horrible at the names yes. these days. Yeah. Uh, That's what I was going to call grid- you out when you said all of your mid layers are merino, because then you use that piece, which is a grid fleece. They're grid fleece. Like I love hiking with that as the only layer when it's like 15 degrees outside. 
Um, it's like an awesome piece. It breathes well enough that you don't overheat too much, but it, it cuts through, it cuts some of the wind down, keeps you warm. Um, got the big quarter zip so you can get ventilation in the chest if you need to. Uh, it's a great piece to do that with. Yeah, I would say Echo, you know what you said, Steve, you got to start cold. But um, one thing for me that makes a huge difference when you are starting cold is taking care of your hands and feet. And so I could have a very thin base layer on, but when it's cold, having some gloves uh, and then having either a beanie or a hood or both potentially, I've just found that, you know, me being cold in the core, right? It's so like where your top mm-hmm. is, is relative, but um, having truly cold hands or a truly cold head or ears or things like that makes a big difference. And so I can start cold in the body, but, you know, I don't say warm in the hands because, you know, again, you can have the same principle here where you're going to sweat too quick. But the nice thing about like taking care of your hands and your head keeping those relatively warm is number one, it does make you more comfortable, but two, those are things you can manage on the fly. So during that hike, during that climb, you're not stopping to take off your pack and then take off a layer. You're just taking off your gloves, throwing them in your pocket, taking off your beanie, putting it in the pocket, or you start to get cold, you need to put them back on. And so, you know, the hands and feet are really important from a performance and comfort perspective, and also just much easier to manage on the fly during the effort. Um, as you said, Steve, having some sort of zip or vent on whatever layer you're wearing, um, Mm -hmm. can be really, really critical, especially if you're not wearing a very light base layer and you're going with more of a mid-layer, um, approach having a, not only a zip, but preferably a pretty dang deep one, um, can just make a massive, massive difference. Um, and then if you're talking really cold or you're potentially having like a layer plus, something on like that extra piece, some sort of insulation, you know, you can be more strategic with those pieces and thinking through, um, gear selection and are there pieces that are a bit more body mapped with insulation, meaning they have more breathability and less insulation in certain areas, um, versus other areas that are more insulated to keep you warm. So, um, things just to like compare, for example, is some puffy jackets in the past that are just number one, not breathable in general, but number two, don't really have a body mapped insulation approach is super easy to overheat in. Uh, but a good example that is counter to that is, um, that Arctic Arcteryx Adam I've been wearing a ton the last couple of years, the side panels of that. Uh, don't have insulation. It's also a different face fabric um, and main textile that is much more breathable. And so my, it doesn't have pit zips, but that whole section all the way down both sides is much more breathable and I can dump some heat out while I'm still wearing it. Is it typically the best choice of wanting to wear a fully insulated piece while doing a high output activity? No. But if you find yourselves in those situations where you're doing shorter efforts, um, then maybe something like that makes a lot of sense. And at the end of the day too, controlling your output. So yes, maybe it is a big climb, but that doesn't mean you need to go balls to the wall and push yourself to this point where you're just going to be flat out overheated and sweaty no matter what. I mean, think through what you're doing and I'm as guilty of anybody as put your head down, hike, go. Um, but in situations where the conditions are tough, you also need to make sure you're taking care of yourself. And sometimes that just comes with controlling your output and not purposely overheating. 
You had a much better answer than me, Mark. I was just oh, like, ah, be no. tough. Yeah. I mean, we already covered you're tougher than I am today. So I was just trying to bring like some knowledge to the table. If you can't be tough, be smart. Yeah, there you go. Like <laughs> you're tough. Uh, yeah. Like I said, in, in my head, I'm like, all right, yeah. Getting, climbing 3,000 feet as fast as I can. But there's certainly that like, no, we're going to hunt our way up here. Um, and then, and your comment about controlling your output, like, like, okay, I'm starting to work hard. I need to, I need to slow down. I need to back off. So I don't start sweating too much. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I, I wasn't kind of in that approach. I was, I had a, that pot, thought had popped into my head when right, I'd got to the top, I put on my, my dry base layer and my jacket. Now we're just going to be like side hilling. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I can hunt in my jacket and just control, you know, I'm not going to hunt too hard. Right. I'm not going to get to the point where I'm sweating a bunch and going to get everything wet on the inside. Yeah. And when you do, you know, say you have worked up and it's cold and you're warm, you've made a big effort and now you're stopping to rest. Don't wait to put on like a shell or insulation or whatever. Right. So don't stop this physical effort and then wait to get cold to then try and put something on. Cause now you're just playing catch up and you're behind the ball. So if you've made a decent hike, you're warm, and it's cold out and you know, you're stopping to glass even for 20 minutes, let alone an hour, you may not feel like, Oh God, I'm hot and sweaty. I want to put some clothes on, but that's really what you need to do because you need to retain warmth. And then also by adding like that insulation factor and creating this warm environment, you're actually helping to dry out those base layers. Um, Whereas if you just keep the open air, sure. You're getting some dry effect, but that's, that air hitting the moisture in the base layer is going to create a massive cooling effect, which you obviously don't want. Yeah. Um, It used to be my strategy was like, okay, I'm wearing this thin wool. I get up there. I'm just going to like tough it out as long as I can. And yeah, let it dry out. And you actually get better results. If you just throw your puffy jacket over the top of it, and then all Mm -hmm. that heat on the inside will actually dry out what you were wearing um, with basically no, it's not like you're going to get your puffy jacket wet on the inside. Right. Um, there's very, very little of that. So. Cool. Well, great questions guys. Again, thank you so much for, uh, submitting these. It's fun to hear you from you guys directly and then talk through these. So, uh, once again, just go to the link in the show description for SpeakPipe. You don't have to download an app or do anything. You can use whatever device you have and leave us a message in just a few seconds. And then we'll continue to answer more of these questions in the future. And if you do leave that question before May 1st of 2022, you'll be entered to win that custom Chris Reeves knife we've talked about recently. Uh, So once again, go ahead and do that. Thanks as always for tuning in. If you do need to reach us by email, that's podcast at exomountaingear.com. And we'll talk to you soon.